Yo, what's up, y'all? Welcome to another motherfucking episode of Kill the Mockingbirds. I'm your host, Sean Chris. And uh, what we do here is we break down propaganda. You know, have a little interviews every now and then with uh, uh, people that are out there having different views and, uh, you know, go through different pro- types of propaganda uh, and show, like, the obvious shit that's uh, kind of affecting people. So what's up with y'all? You know, I've been away for a little bit, kind of been busy with work and stuff like that. But I kind of arranged a few things uh, that have been going on in the last few, like pretty much the last month, the last end of the month. Uh, that first song I was playing with, that's a song with me and Venice uh, Beach Dub Club uh, called False Flags. You can check that everywhere. It's on all streaming services. And uh, the other one was like, uh, I forgot the girl's name, but she was like some 13, 14 year old that uh, someone put a beat to it. And then she was like kind of, Telling off the school board, and uh, it was pretty cool. Like, so you got to check out that video. I'll have that all in the show notes. I'll be posting all the show notes on Telegram, so uh, check it out there. So let's start it off with uh, uh, what everybody's all been talking about, the the big old convoy. The- a massive convoy of about 50,000 trucks protesting vaccine mandates for truck drivers gathering in Canada's capital, a truck stretching over 40 miles. Unvaccinated Canadian drivers are required to take a COVID-19 test and quarantine when driving back from the U.S. Some truckers from the U.S. have also reportedly joined the protest. I mean, like, since it's been going on now, like, because I think these reports were from over the weekend. And, uh, you know, pretty much now they've got, I think they got something going on in Edmonton. And I heard some things are going down in Texas. Uh, it's actually been a pretty good grassroots movement for uh, for the most part. And uh, I've heard a lot of people saying that uh, horns like that is, uh, is a racist uh, or, or terrorist. Uh, that's what a lot of the people have been talking about uh, when they've been trying to describe this kind of protest. It's kind of weird because the left always goes and says the working class should, uh, you know, go against the establishment. And what the working class does, they kind of turn their back on them. But uh, it's pretty good to see. I think that um, what's looking with Trudeau, Trudeau's hiding out. We got a little uh, two different clips, one kind of showing where they're saying that uh, he got COVID. Sounds of horns blared all over downtown Ottawa on a frigid night. The cold not keeping protesters from delivering their message. I'm a vaxxed trucker and I'm here to support my unvaxxed colleagues. It's wrong to force people to undergo a medical procedure against their will. What I have been seeing so far is every single Canadian doing what they do and is peacefully protesting and loving each other and spreading cheer and hope and happiness. Just take a look around. We are in front of the Parliament buildings right now, and there are already hundreds of protesters, dozens of trucks lining Wellington Street. And this is just the night before. The main convoys, well, they haven't even arrived yet. Indeed, thousands more are expected by early afternoon. Convoys from the east, west, and south on the road today, all set to converge in Ottawa. The leader of the official opposition tweeted he met with truckers today and says Trudeau should do the same. The prime minister is isolating because of a COVID exposure. See, that's kind of funny. Like right there, they were talking about him having a COVID uh, exposure, but there was a conflicting report that also was talking about how he was just like fleeing, like almost as if uh, he was under attack. Here's the other clip. 
The crowds of protesters continue to swell on Parliament Hill. Thousands of people demanding an end to vaccine mandates for truckers. I feel really, really proud to be Canadian right now. Have these mandates removed? But some far-right extremists have attached themselves to the cause, including a person listed as an organizer with known white supremacist views. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his family were whisked away to an undisclosed location for safety reasons. Meanwhile, also on the hill... Independent Ontario MPP Randy Hillier joined the protest, spotted removing a police barricade. Authorities say the event has been peaceful, but did tow some vehicles parked on the military cenotaph. The nearby Rideau Centre shopping mall closed early, citing an abundance of caution. And a local Muslim group cancelled an in-person event commemorating the fifth anniversary of the Quebec City mosque shooting, citing safety concerns. So as you can see, like, that's what kind of ties it in for me, uh, it being like, you know, a globalist movement. If you listen to what's going on in Germany, now Canada, America, uh, they call it a lot like, you know, the conservative or right wing. I'm not conservative or right wing, but it seems to be that be the new bad guy, right? Like, uh, usually that's what you consider or people consider authoritarianism is on the right, which it could go both ways, which it has through history. But I think that like the whole point of it is like, you know, you see in those two clips, the one they say he's isolating because of COVID and the other clip, they're saying that he kind of just, you know, (laughs) took off because he felt the pressure of the people. And I think that to me is probably more what happened because I think he's had COVID a couple of times, right? Well, isn't like all these world leaders after they've been double jabbed and all that. But it's uh, nice to see people in North America really uh, making more of a stand. And uh, especially the Canadians, they've been under some really, really tough, uh, brutal, brutal like mandates of where they can't do anything. Especially, I think certain certain provinces have had it worse than others. So it's really good to see that. And I think that's sparking off a grassroots movement that's happening down here now a little bit and kind of showing the working class people that, you know, we do have a lot more power than people think, you know, truck drivers uh, don't get as much uh, credit as they deserve. Like people don't realize how, like they've said it for years, you know, they could shut it down. And and I think they're proving their point of what the working class can and will do if, if necessary, you know, and if, if you push them too far. So it's really nice to see, but uh, another one I got right here. I think this is uh, where I get this. This is the the best way that this is what the labor minister said. The best way to get food through uh, is through vaccines. Some protesters and politicians who support the convoy protest say it goes beyond an issue of personal freedom. They argue that forcing truckers out of their jobs for refusing to get vaccinated will damage the supply chain. But federal labor minister Carla Qualtro says that logic is flawed and Ottawa has no intention to repeal the rules. So many experts, the CTA ourselves, believe that the best way to protect our supply chain, the best way to ensure that Canadians get food on their tables is through vaccines. Having a fully vaccinated workforce means that work sites are safe and our communities are safe. And we are committed to ensuring that that's the case. Walter also says an estimated 90 percent of truckers are vaccinated. That kind of reminded me when that hurricane was uh, about to hit. And um, what's it called? Um, They were saying the best way to protect yourself from the hurricane is to get vaccinated. It's kind of like comical now. I mean, we've all heard all that. But the best, uh, you know, they had to like amp it up with all that's going on in Ukraine. So we, we had to get more of uh, good old Russia. Russia? Russia? Don't worry. Russia? 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 Be 
Good old Russia is usually the the scapegoat. And the CBC even kind of like gave Russia credit for what's going on with this convoy. I do ask that because, uh, you know, given Canada's support of Ukraine in this current crisis with Russia, I don't know if it's far-fetched to ask, but, but there is concern that Russian actors could be continuing to fuel things uh, as this as this protest grows, but perhaps even instigating it from from the outset. Well, again, I'm going to defer to uh, our uh, partners in the public safety, the uh, trained of, uh, officials and experts in that area. Putin! <laughs> it's always Putin's fault, right? Like, yeah, I thought that was pretty hilarious, like how they try to give Russian actors uh especially with all this talk of false flags lately that they've been speaking of and they're pushing on like that uh, Russia might be the one uh, doing all this. But I, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Um, here's a little update on Russia, actually, what's uh, what our U.S. department is saying, what's going on over there. The U.S. and other Western powers continue efforts to avert another Russian incursion into Ukraine through diplomacy and threatened sanctions. The U.S. ambassador to Russia, John Sullivan, says the Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline from Russia to Western Europe is an important tool in the pressure campaign. The fact that the pipeline exists but has no gas flowing through it, which means... Uh, no income coming to Russia from the sale of its uh, its gas to Europe is a point of leverage for uh, for Europe uh, in uh, in in this context with uh, with Russia. Moscow's ambassador to Ireland said today Russia will not conduct naval exercises in international waters in the Irish Sea after the Irish government asked Russia to relocate the maneuvers and Irish fishing groups threatened to protest on the water. And the thing about that is that, uh, I mean, the pipeline's already created, right? Like, they're talking about these sanctions, and I think the sanctions hurt the U.S. more than anything because we we don't want to devalue the dollar. That's why I feel like all this whole uh, Russia, Ukraine is is kind of a pivot, a pivot moment to uh, push more of the Great Reset stuff and get people to devalue the dollar and completely bankrupt the world. If you look at uh, Turkey... Uh, one of our allies, they're 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 really hurting for money, and they're willing to jump on a lot of this uh, bullshit that 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 uh, is going on as well. And you're seeing that like it all unfold because I really don't believe like I mean they're all superpowers. We all have like weapons, and we all do false flags attacks. We all have intelligent agencies. So I don't think that anybody's looking for a real war. I think that this is uh, something that they're trying to ramp people up with. And plus, right now, as you see the COVID narrative. Is shifting, so they can't just shift you right into uh, climate change. I think they're going to shift us into a couple little like conflicts, uh, maybe not necessarily hot conflicts, something that's actually um, you know boots on the ground. But I think we're going to be hearing a lot more cyber attacks. I'm sure we'll uh, witness a cyber attack, whether in our country or uh, a major one in somewhere else. And they've had like threats of they're saying Russia, you know, false flag attacks with cyber attacks, and. It's interesting because a lot of the cyber attacks, when uh, people analyze it and look through it, they come from Ukraine so uh, and North Korea as well as uh, Iran. But like a lot of them, the, the sophisticated ones, they usually come through Ukraine. And our, you know, our government is saying and these administration is saying that that's all coming from Russia. But who knows? It's all until the smoke clears. It's really been muddy on both sides to what's going on. So I, I know like uh, I think it ended on the 30th or I might be wrong. Uh, the exact date that it ended, but. 
the w the World Economic Forum had their you know douchebag Davos meeting again, and uh, there was some interesting stuff that I had to say. Um, I was talking about earlier, and I posted it uh, about uh, Ivanka Trump being one of the young globalists. It's not on the list. Like I've looked through it as well. There's plenty of stuff that I looked, and I did not see her on there. But digging further and seeing some other of my uh, one of my friends had sent me a video on BitShoe that he did. And he showed me how, you know, that she was removed October uh, 21st from her Wikipedia, that she was part of the uh, World Economic Forum Young Globalists. Whether that be true or not, I don't know at this moment. But at this moment, it doesn't look like she was on the list. It looks like that uh, you can search it up and you can't find her. So maybe I was wrong in that. I'm going to have to dig further. So uh, up on that. But here's a little bit of uh, what what's going on over there and how they talk. So they're speaking to each other and they're talking about elites. At Davos a few years ago, you know, the Edelman survey showed us that the good news is the elite across the world trust each other more and more. So we can come together and design and do beautiful things together. The bad news is that in every single country they were polling, the majority of people trusted that elite less. Oh, imagine that. The, pe the populations of the world trusting the elites of the world less and less. They're trusting each other more because I think that's all they have is each other. They can't look to uh, the people of the world to back them up any longer. There is too much uh, that has been exposed and whether who exposed it or how you found it. I think that just over time that things wear, you know, like the, the wear and tear of what's going on with all these uh, lies that have been covered up for years and uh, what that may be, what that may not be. But you can see the elites are a little shook and. Here's a little bit further to talk a little bit about the young globalists uh, in the WEF. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, president of, of uh, Argentina and so on, said we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau, and I know that half of this cabinet, or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet, are, for, are actually young global leaders of the world economy right. form. And what he's saying is basically that he knows with Trudeau that their cabinet is going to be predominantly uh, the, the agenda that they want to push, the Great Reset and, and the crash of different markets and kind of global uh, the globalization of the world. Now, like I said, I don't know if Ivanka Trump, I've seen it on a list. And then, like I said, when I searched it and other people searched it, we could not find it. But I do know Tulsi Gabbard, um, you know, uh, I think Wyclef Jean, um, Zuckerberg. Uh, you name it. And, and here's another one, Pete Buttigieg. And he's kind of talking. <laughs> this to me is kind of that big brother, that next step. And he's talking about no more crashes on the road. It's almost like how they were going after with COVID, like we can't be sick anymore. And now he's saying that there could be he's going to do these initiatives, which is going to be taxed, that the working class is going to pay for. That is going to lead to zero deaths on the road. And I think that that's uh, obviously nobody wants to see someone die in a car crash. But I think that's just another form of restricting, uh, restricting our freedoms. Another thing that it's going to take in order to change the trajectory of roadway safety in this country is a single 
ambitious shared goal. And today we commit that our goal is this, zero. Our goal is zero deaths. A country where one day nobody has to say goodbye to a loved one because of a traffic crash. I understand the scale of the challenge and the ambition represented by that goal. And I understand that we may not get there during my tenure as secretary. But the decision to commit to that goal in a serious way at a national level changes the way cities and towns design roads. It changes the ways companies build cars. It changes the way people drive them. Shut up already. It's science. So, yeah, I think I think that would be interesting. It's more Big Brother tactics to me. And they got a couple of little programs that they're running down in Chicago right now. <laughs> the first phase of a plan to make Chicago Area Expressway safer is now complete. The Illinois State Police installing license plate reader cameras on expressways in an effort to help state police solve shootings and carjackings. In phase one, 99 cameras were put up along the Dan Ryan Expressway. Another 200 cameras will be installed on city expressways over the next year. State police say the cameras will not be used to catch speeders. The project is financed through a $12.5 million grant following passage of the Tamar Clayton Expressway Camera Act. So, yeah, I think that's part of getting like, you know, we, we built the police state, you know, with the Patriot Act. We have all that. I think now it's uh, we're getting into that bio uh, chemical state, that 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 uh, surveillance state, that complete uh, where the technocracy and the technology has caught up to the times and they're able to, you know, make these smart cities. I think that we're going to see that more and more um, in the next 10 years, obviously, like Bill Gates uh, and them have been like trying in Microsoft. I think they were trying to get a couple cities. There are some people believe that they're trying to shake people out of New York so they can build these cities because that's where they are funding some of the schools and they're trying to push people out to where then they get them into a, like a project situation and you're kind of forced to deal with the government and do it as they want. I listen to a lot of James Corbett. I was talking about before and telling people like, you know, they ask me about solutions. I don't always come up with solutions. I kind of just try to point out some of the hypocrisy that people say or the propaganda that's disguised in our news. Uh, but Corbett, James Corbett is one of my, uh, uh, not my go-to, but there's, you know, I think he has a lot of good information. He's an independent researcher that kind of just uh, doesn't stand on any side, just stands on the sides of, uh, of the people. And, uh, you should check out his uh, Solutions Watch. He also has the Corbett Report and, you know, other uh, docu documentaries. I think he has uh, 9-11 in five minutes. That's one of his most um, popular ones, but definitely someone to check out. But I, I clipped some of his Corbett uh, Report because I think this was a good message that he's trying to uh, convey to all of us as people because I think there are some restrictions that are easing. Uh, we're going to see more and more... Um, Things going away. I think masks are going to go away. I think by the time April comes around, you know, uh, springtime, closer to May, you're going to see all these mandates going away. And, and, and you know, we can't like uh, we have to remember that this is not always just a plan for today or tomorrow. There is a definite shift going on, which I think everyone is feeling in all different parts of the globe right now. The, the narrative is changing. And yes, there are some causes for celebration. As you say, this is almost nearly like a good news episode, but not unmitigated. And here's where my concern comes in. I'm going to be writing about this in more detail this weekend because I think this is so important for us to keep in mind. Yes, okay, let's celebrate the progress that is being made, but let's not lose sight of the real end goal here, which as I have always stressed since the beginning, people can go back and dig this up throughout the work that I've been doing for the past two years. I've always been saying my biggest fear is that this 
isn't the kill shot, literally or metaphorically. That this is the first salvo in a years-long, decades-long process of re-engineering the governing principle of society into the biosecurity state, and this is just about laying the infrastructure. I mean, five, ten years from now, we'll be looking back, oh yeah, remember that COVID-19 thing? Oh, anyway, and now i got to scan to get into, you know, this restaurant or whatever. Uh, it, it, they are hardwiring in the infrastructure so that, yes, they may pull back here and there, but Look at the devil in the details. And so let's go actually to that U.S. Department of Labor post, COVID-19 vaccination and testing ETS. And this is the money quote. This is what it's about, in my opinion. Although OSHA is withdrawing the vaccination and testing ETS as an enforceable emergency temporary standard, the agency is not withdrawing the ETS as a proposed rule. The agency is prioritizing its resources to focus on finalizing a permanent COVID-19 healthcare standard. A permanent COVID-19 healthcare standard. It's capitalized, James. They capitalize it in their write-up. That means that's that's official, baby. That that that's correct. <laughs> so yeah, I think that like you know, there's a lot of stuff that we see like the headlines and all of us like even me i catch headlines and sometimes you uh headline chase or like you see that and you don't we don't all have time at the moment if we're at work in the car wherever we're at or, or we're just not like uh able to look it up or we just don't think about looking it up and i think that we see the headlines which is great like i think that uh the more that they're fighting against this uh osha stuff and they're they're just trying to create a new organization i think in to get this uh, bio biosecurity state rolling, the infrastructure is there is what they've built. That's like, and also the mass formation of getting people to actually believe that it's your fault for getting sick, that you're a bad person for getting sick, or you might get somebody else sick. This new concept of where people are actually in fear of getting sick or getting somebody sick because they feel like they're a bad person. Like that's nuts. Like, and I think that that's something that we have to call out because people are trapped in this little mind bubble of uh you know that they can't do no wrong like like if i do everything right i, I won't kill anybody and that's kind of like really horrible that it's making us like lose sight of uh some of the horrific things that have happened with people in the vaccine uh here's a little story about a navy jet crash uh crashes pilot ejects vac from vaccine chest pains a retired Navy captain details the events leading up to a pilot being forced to eject from his F-35C jet in the South China Sea. In his report shared with OAN Thursday, Captain Joseph R. John said the pilot ejected due to a disabling reaction from the vaccine he was forced to receive. The pilot reportedly had intense chest pain that he described as being hit with a baseball bat. When he ejected, his stealth fighter crashed, landed on the flight deck of the USS Carl Vinson injuring seven boatsmen and mates. John said that the pilot got his booster aboard the Vincent 72 hours before that flight, adding he had no comor comorbidities and had recently passed a medical exam. The pilot, fortunately, is expected to recover. So, I mean, that's like a story you won't hear a lot of places. He, he crashed and ejected because he was having massive chest pains. I mean, some people were actually injured because, uh, you know, he's trying to land back on the aircraft carrier. And that's from, I mean, like, that's to me kind of obvious. Like, he just got the booster. I mean, there's the speculation of what happened with Bob Saget and the booster, uh, you know, having it a few days before he just passed. And same thing with Betty White, like, that she had a stroke uh, a week before she uh, died. And then I think, like, a day or two before she had a stroke, she had the, the booster. 
Can we confirm? No, obviously we don't know these people, so we can't confirm. But I mean, when you keep hearing stories like that, it's kind of hard to it's not hard to speculate and kind of get to on that path really quick. I thought uh, with all the whole Whoopi, uh, you know, everybody's mad at Whoopi Goldberg, uh, her Holocaust comments and all that. I think that people miss. Uh, there's been a lot of gaffes, right? Like whether it's Saki or Biden or uh, you name them, right? There's all these Freudian slips. And I think it, let's see if you could catch this gaff right here from Whoopi Goldberg. It was like, I think from last week. So just pay attention to what she's saying. Not really funny to people who've lost their kids mm, to no. this vaccine or people who've lost family members or dear friends. So did you, I don't know if you caught that, but she said vaccine and she meant to say virus. Listen again. She meant to say lost kids and friends from the va uh, from the virus, but she said the vaccine. Not really funny to people who've lost their kids mm, to no. this vaccine or people who've lost family members or dear friends. It's just not looking good for them. It's just these Freudian slips that are coming out of people's mouth. You heard Saki say it. Um, you've heard countless people say it. Like I I'm sure someone has a supercut of all these gaffes because it, that would be, honestly, that would be pretty funny because I've seen a lot of hilarious ones. Here's a weird custody battle where a dad is uh, fighting for his son because he gave him ivermectin. A custody battle is taking place in New Hampshire that's getting a lot of attention. In what may be a first-of-its-kind case, a father could lose his son for giving him ivermectin, a prescription drug used by some to treat COVID-19. NTD's Miguel Moreno reports. Former New Hampshire lawmaker J.R. Hole says that he gave his family ivermectin because they had COVID-19. That was in November. According to Hole, they quickly recovered from the disease with no lasting side effects. Buddy says that in December, child protection workers and police officers were at his door, ready to take his two kids who weren't home at the time. So, so they they were concerned that I um, used um, a, a particular medication that's available online um, internationally, which is ivermectin, and I used it for myself. Our whole family used it to treat COVID. And they didn't like that. It's a very politicized drug or politicized medication. And they um, they thought it was the root cause for all of the concerns relative to my son's visit to the emergency room. He says he had taken his son to the emergency room because the boy took too many Tylenol pills. According to Hole, that was seven to ten days after his son took his final dose of ivermectin. So in his view, the boy's symptoms were unrelated to the anti-parasitic drug. The state initially sought Hole's son and daughter, but Hole says that now only custody of his son is at risk. And how did the state find out that you gave your son ivermectin? Our nurse turned us into the state. There, there's the thing is there is a there's what's going to develop out of this is an incredible distrust of the medical community, because if you can't have a conversation with your doctor or in, in this case with the nurse um, about how you're treating your family, because there is a threat that they're going to turn you into the state, people aren't going to share pertinent information. And that's going to lead to massive misdiagnosis of what the issue is. We were being open and honest with what was going on, trying to make sure our son was as healthy as possible. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of, uh, we have actually seen a lot more of these kind of cases, like even with, um, I think with the hormones and stuff, they have like where, you know, kids are, uh, you know, parents are fighting over if they can give their kids certain hormones and hormone blockers and what they can and can't do. I thought this was interesting because it's like, 
if I gave my kid Tylenol and he got sick, like, would I be in trouble? Like, because he took too much? Like, the RN just, like, ratted him out. And and, and it's just something that's kind of, like, it's just becoming a very, uh, like, a, a, we're coming to snitch society. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever seen that uh, George Carlin, you know, where he says, rats, squealers. Like, well, this is what the country's becoming. Like, a lot of people are ratting and squealing on each other. And that's how we get closer to the social credit score because we push ourselves into it. And I think that, especially right now with the left, because the left has been uh all sides have been compromised but i think the left right now that is in control of a lot of the media uh they think they're doing the right thing but they don't realize that they are becoming the thing that they used to fight against and they are the snitches they are the rats they are the ones that are going to tell on us and, and and uh ruin your business and and when they say they're here to help people and and when they're pushing these mandates they don't talk about how they're uh hurting indigenous people like is there some indigenous people that uh, maybe want to take the vaccine sure but there's a lot that are more into holistic medicines and and they're not they don't want any of that shit that they're the what they consider western bullshit and why should they be forced when the, you're supposedly fighting for the indigenous people but that yet you're forcing the draconian laws onto them so it's really like a spit in the face of all this little fake social justice warrior shit that i think we all know that they've been doing right like They've all been shoving it down our throat, and it's been getting exposed more and more. We're seeing them uh, eat themselves, and, and even on the right, like we're seeing both sides kind of implode. And I think what happens is when we go to one extreme or the other, we're going to get the next extreme. So right now we're getting all the wokeness, and from that we're going to go back to the, the, the 40s, 50s where the Bible thumpers, and I think that people are going to be too conservative, like, and we're still going to be fighting censorship. See, there's always – we need that balance, and – until we can regain that balance, uh, we're going to keep slipping. But I think there's more and more people that are kind of getting more into the middle and realizing that, you know, freedom and liberty is more than just us expressing what we have to say, but respecting what others have, uh, other people's liberty, uh, not living in fear and not letting their fear or your fear stand in the way of their liberty and freedom. And more and more people every day are reaching out and they're, they're, they're seeing it. It's just tough. I think that, like... We get trapped in this world. We're all online or or even at our work or whatever we're doing. We get trapped in it and we forget the the real realm of the world where, you know, we connect with people and that's what we're here for. So I wanted to give a little update. I have we haven't said nothing about Assange in a while, you know, Julian Assange. He's still locked up. It's looking like he may never not only get extradited, but that he may never be released. A high court in Britain has ruled that the founder of the WikiLeaks organization, Julian Assange, can petition the U.K. Supreme Court to block his extradition to the U.S. Here's Villa Marks in London. The Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales acknowledged Assange's lawyers had raised a valid legal point about the way British judges had received earlier U.S. assurances about his future treatment in an American jail. The ruling will allow Assange to delay his extradition while he seeks a hearing from the U.K.'s top court. Though such a hearing is not guaranteed. Yeah, so they're not going to guarantee. So I don't know. It's just kind of weird that he's still just like kind of hanging out in prison and they haven't extradited him. So we don't hear much about Assange like that. That story's kind of faded out. Um, I think it's good to keep an eye on him because I think that's that last thread of, you know, freedom of press. And he's not even an American citizen. So I don't know how we could extradite him anyways, but and how he can be, uh, you know, espionage. But because he showed war crimes, um, you know, he did real journalism. He's he's paying the price for that because real journalists, you know, they pay the price for it. Like I, I'm not a journalist. I'm just, I would guess like a talking head or just uh, somebody that just talks shit, but a journalist like that uncovering like real stories, uh, they, they should be protected. They should be, uh, 
you know, held with high regard because exposing uh, not just fraud, but criminal activity and and useless wars and and all these like things that we don't co-sign as as people. We don't want to go over there bullying other countries or just bombing them for no reason. That's why I think it's important to have journalists like this. But the more they press um, journalists like this and and having all these fake news outlets that don't have any genuine stories are really getting us tangled up in this web of lies and and we're losing the the credibility and and people not wanting to go out there because you know that's it's a risk it's a big risk um i'm gonna go back to russia and ukraine because uh blinken you know good old blinken he had some stuff to say and like they keep talking about these false flag attacks and and how false flag attacks are going to be utilized by the russians uh against the russians um and this, they keep saying it's the Russian playbook. And to me, that's it's the American playbook. I mean, not just America, but any imperialistic country. I think all the powerhouses have used false flags to get things across and uh, get their message out there. But here's Blinken kind of talking about the Ukraine. Uh, it's uh, important that people look at the whole range of things yeah. that Russia could and may be preparing to do in Ukraine. I got to go. Last week, you re- uh, the U.S. intelligence community released information that he was trying to create a sort of a false flag operation. This is from British intelligence. Again, this seems to be an unusual move to make so much of this stuff public. It, who are you trying to send the message to? And, I, and I'm not going to be subtle here. Is this sending a message to our other European allies that this is real and this is serious? Chuck, it's mostly making clear, first of all, to uh, the Russians that we know all of the tactics and techniques that they can bring to bear. They're massing a huge number of forces on Ukraine's borders. People are rightly very focused on that. But there are a whole series of other actions that they've taken in the past and uh, are preparing to take potentially in Ukraine. And it's important they be put on notice. It's also important that uh, people around the world, whether it's in Europe, uh, the United States, or beyond, understand the kinds of things that could be in the offing. False flag operation to try and create mm-hmm. a false pretext uh, for going in. It's important that people know that that's something that's in the playbook, too. Um, and uh, a couple of things I heard going around talking about uh, with a couple of people, they were saying, like, well, who, are, who is this message for? You know, sometimes we get propaganda on our televisions that's not necessarily directed towards us. It's directed towards other countries and what someone brought to my attention is like they think that they're playing a lot of this propaganda on Germany because Germany gets a lot of their gas from Russia. And right now they just what's that, that Nordak 2 or something like that, that that new pipeline that they've just completed. And they were talking about it with, I think, Victoria Newland, uh, And she was saying, oh, no, you know, like there's no way that we're going to, uh, you know, let them uh, start that up. But it's completed. Like the reporter was telling her it's completed already. So what what's the difference? They can just shoot anything through there whenever they want. So I think this is trying to keep the Germans kind of at bay and be like, you know, trying to fight back some sanctions. But I don't really think any of these sanctions, I think it's all like optics because there's nothing that could actually, yeah, Nord Stream, thank you. Uh, there's nothing that they, we could actually do that's going to, um, unless we start an actual hot war, which I doubt. Like, I don't see that happening. I think it's just optics so that we could push around and get this here and get that there. And I think we're battling for uh, who is going to be the head of the whole, um, you know, globalist agenda, the, the, the global, what country, what powerhouse is going to take over. And right now we seem like a dying empire and China seems like the one that's kind of right there. But if you look into China's economy as well, they've been crashing. So I think that's why everybody's scrambling. And with that uh, Belt and Road Initiative, it seems like it's right there for the taking. And that's what I think is going up. And to really play hard on all these cyber attacks, they've, 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 They've showed us, you know, 9-11 with terrorists and 
now this biochemical terrorism, like not not hasn't really happened yet, but they've showed how people could be f- afraid of uh, of a virus. So now I think they're really trying to scramble and push heavy on that cyber attack, that threat that Klaus Schwab gave us, right? He said a cyber pandemic will be twenty times worse or whatever. I'm not quoting word for word, but something that would be way worse um, than than COVID nineteen. And here's a little bit of them talking about Ukrainian hybrid war on MP, uh, NPR, and they talk about cyber attacks. And how well are Ukrainians prepared for cyber attacks? Ukraine has learned a lot from their experience, and they have gotten help from the U.S. The U.S. installed hardware and software in uh, critical infrastructure. In recent weeks, the U.S. has ramped up those efforts to help Ukraine secure strategic systems. Uh, We're talking U.S. defense officials, FBI, other contractors working daily with Ukrainians on this. So the power grid, banks, airport, they're better protected now. But the U.S. assessment is that if Russia attacks, they will have some success. Uh, The U.S. assessment is that Russia could even paralyze communication networks, infrastructure for, say, a week, enough to carry out uh, a military strike. And the question is, how quickly could Ukraine get its systems back up and running? We really don't know the answer to that question. I think it's safe to say that the Russians can be masters at disinformation. What are Ukrainians trying to do about that? Yeah, fake news. Uh, Well, there is a classic example of this from 2014. Fighting began in eastern Ukraine then, and Russian state-owned television broadcast a fake news story, uh, a woman claiming that Ukrainian soldiers had crucified her three-year-old boy. It was completely debunked. It's false. But at the time, uh, many Ukrainians in the East were duped. They were terrified of their own army. Today, Ukrainian researchers in in disinformation tell me that... uh, A lot of Ukrainians today are are much more immune to this kind of Russian disinformation. Ukraine has banned pro-Russian TV channels. They've blocked Russian social media sites. Russia could still pump out false messages, scaring and confusing civilians at a time of war. They could do that on Telegram, which is a popular messaging app here. But in general, Ukrainians feel that they're more alert. See, like right there, like I find it funny that they're talking about how, um, you know, they said that there was false stories of Ukrainian soldiers crucifying some kid. And that's how a lot of this stuff starts, you know, especially with the CIA and all that. They love to throw out a crazy story, um, something wild, you know, like that's going to rile the people up. That's something that's going to hit them emotionally. And the same thing they did at the the Gulf War. Remember, they had that uh, princess diplomat, uh, the, the daughter of some diplomat or something. And she went in front of Congress, lied, and said that Iraqis were going, uh, Iraqi soldiers were going into like you know like hospitals and ripping babies out of incubators and just killing babies. So that is the pretext of why we went to uh, you know Desert Storm. Like that was a straight lie. So it's just ironic for us to call somebody out on doing that when we do the same exact thing. And that's why we know the Russian playbook because it's our playbook. We've done it. We've we've been the master of false flags. And like I said, I'm sure there's other false flags that we don't know about, especially in other countries, because China's really big on that. I mean, they don't even do false flags. They just lie completely flat out. They just tell you, like, your eyes are lying. Just listen to what I have to say. <clears throat> and also about that, when they're talking about going to Ukraine and how we need to help them and how we got to help these other countries, when we're always talking about, hey, yeah, we're just here trying to help people. What I don't understand is Turkey, they were bullying Argentina for a while, right? Turkey has done a lot of 
lot of negligent shit. And here's a little report to kind of show, like, why do we back Turkey so much? Because they're an ally. But they do the same things that if it was another country and they weren't our ally, we would go in and bomb them. Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, says legal action will be taken against Turkish media that disseminate content that damages the country's core values. He did not specify what those are, but has often criticized Turkish media for being out of step with conservative Islamic values. Yeah, yeah, I know they're NATO, and that's like why that's what like I don't understand is like why some are able to do whatever they want. It's almost like a, a an informant, right? An informant is allowed to sell drugs, is allowed to harm people just because they're giving them information. And I just feel like that same concept is what is played on with a lot of these countries that are are, are allies and such, and they don't always share the same values, but they're strategically good spots. I get it for war, but at the same time, when they're pushing this uh, garbage of that, how they're trying to improve people, improve the world, I think that they just kind of go where they want and go where, uh, attack anybody. And they, and we don't check them. We don't check a lot of these other countries. It's not just Turkey in general, but it, to see that they're going after and censoring ship. Like I see that in every country right now, we're seeing a lot of the similar things, uh, unfold, which tells me that it is all like, uh, part of this globalist, uh, uh conspiracy to centralize a lot of things because how are the same actions, not only what happened with COVID, but, with the restrictions and and people censoring and and grabbing more power because people saw an opportunity to grab more power and they and they keep grabbing and grabbing until the people break and then some places they've been able to fight back and kind of grab some of it back like what's going on with the convoy or uh what's going on in Australia a lot of Australians uh been in the streets uh not just protesting but like you know taking it to the to the government and letting them know that the little guy will prevail and uh, now, you know, I wanted to say, like, it looks like we have a comeback, you know, like everything it seems like all the stories kind of like uh, entangle back. It's kind of interesting. For a while, we heard nothing about these guys, you know, like Trump uh, extinguished them or, or so we thought. And then out of nowhere, here they are. To the other major story overseas, the days-long siege at a prison where thousands of suspected ISIS members are being held. ISIS fighters attacking the facility in Syria last Thursday in an attempt to free the ISIS detainees. A coalition said the attack has been contained after the U.S. called in airstrikes to help an American-backed militia regain control. But some militants are still holed up in the section of the prison, and they're reportedly using hundreds of detained children as human shields. It is not clear how many prisoners were able to escape. It's just interesting how out of nowhere, like literally all this, like right when they changed back, that's how you can see, like it's all set up. In, in my opinion, it's all like uh, just some theater because all of a sudden ISIS is back and what's it? ISIS K and, and you know, uh, the whole Afghanistan movement. Like I heard a story about a woman that I think she was, uh, she's New Zealand. She's from New Zealand. Oh, she's a New Zealander. I think that's how you say it. Um, and, you know, they have a zero tolerance of, of COVID and, and they're not letting anybody in. And she was in another country, a um, uh, Middle Eastern country, and where she was at. I don't know if it was Sudan or something like that. And she was pregnant with her boyfriend who they're not married. And in that country, it's illegal to be pregnant and not married. And so she went to Belgium for a while and she went to a couple other places. And now she's being protected by uh, the Afghanistan uh, governments, which... To me, is a bunch of uh, CIA guys, but 
it's these same stories we see over and over. And I think that that's what breaks the cycle is like when you notice like, oh, we're playing this game again. Oh, now it's this like and we're ramping back up on. They keep saying right wing extremists. I, I think it's funny because obviously there's extremes on all sides. Right. And when they are saying that they, they label it right wing extremists. So the left people and other people feel good. But when you listen to the reports and what they're saying, they're really labeling everybody because they're saying, well, it could be anything. They can have any kind of ideology. And here's a little report that I got from, uh, I think it's NBC. I'm not sure which, uh, but it's talking about uh, the new DHL. I mean, the DHS Intel report obtained domestic terrorists will bring down the grid. Here in the U.S., the Department of Homeland Security is warning of a potential troubling escalation in tactics from right-wing extremists. Catherine Herridge has more on this, and she joins us from Washington. Catherine, we understand the power grid could be a target? Good morning. According to the intelligence report obtained by CBS News, these groups have developed credible and specific plans to attack the power grid since at least 2020 as a way to disrupt the country and the ability of government to operate. The report warns extremists adhering to a range of ideologies will likely continue to plot and encourage physical attacks against power networks, which include more than 6,400 plants and nearly a half million miles of high-voltage lines. While the bulletin emphasized small-scale attacks are unlikely to cause widespread power loss, it may cause disruption to critical infrastructure like hospitals and police departments. Homeland Security noted several indicators, including online chatter. While the report does not suggest an imminent threat, the Homeland Security Secretary has warned lone wolf actors and small bands of extremists are among the greatest domestic threat because they are hard to detect, disrupt, and can mobilize quickly. We're the big swing in Johnson, bro! Not the Russians! Get that through your head! <laughs> yeah, like, so it's always right, and they say fringe groups. You see how they start out with far right, but then as they... Uh, really break it down. They're talking about everybody. They say have multiple different types of ideology. That way you can't put it in a box, right? It could be anybody. It's the same thing with the common cold, uh, relabeling it and telling it's, it's it's the most deadly disease man has ever seen. When you rebrand it, now people are afraid of it. Now people could go, well, maybe he's a domestic terrorist. Maybe he's a domestic terrorist. It's all this inner uh, whining to build the infrastructure, which will be the social credit scores, in my opinion, like where people are judging people, where people are ratting on people, where people are looking like, what are you doing? Maybe you're the bad guy. I, and all this dependency of government and where this government is always right and and the powers that be, not just government, but like uh a lot of the uh, uh, what's it called professors and, and scientists and doctors that they're more educated than you, that they've done this and you. And that's what it seems like. It seems like we're just some poor plebs that aren't good enough to do anything. That's the way that it's presented to us. And they want us to feel like nothing. But when reality is some of the greatest inventions have become from just regular people, like just thinking of an idea of what they need. And usually it comes from something where you're like, hey, uh, I need my you know, I can't think of a good example, but, you know, you in your day-to-day -day life or something that happens to you emotionally or something gets hurt in your family and then you need to create something that will benefit them and make their life easier. That's how a lot of stuff is created. And I think that this we're going into this one, uh, uh, this new mindset of where we have to like believe this one thing, wh whatever side it is, whether it's left, right, uh, conspiracy, non-conspiracy, whatever it be, we should just be able to critically think 
read for ourselves, make our own thoughts up because we all know what what's right and wrong uh, in our gut. We know that when we see something that ah, like we you can feel it, right? So I think that we need to wean off this government. But I'm gonna finish off on on a little like kind of like not a deep deep dive, but. A little dive, because I know a lot of people talk about Rogan. I listen to Rogan a little bit. I listen to a little bit of everybody. But I think it's interesting how everybody's going after Rogan right now. And I got these clips from NPR. And I think, to me, this is what I think is really going on. It's it's not just about Rogan. Whether Ro- Rogan's controlled opposition or not, that, that really doesn't um, matter to me in this moment. Because what I'm trying to highlight is who they're really going after. Over a 1,000 doctors, scientists, and health professionals are calling out Spotify over false claims about COVID aired by its most popular podcaster, Joe Rogan. As NPR tech correspondent Shannon Bond reports, while platforms such as Facebook and Twitter face intense scrutiny for their role in spreading harmful health hoaxes, podcasts can be even more influential sources of information. It wasn't the first time Joe Rogan or his guests have floated dubious or outright false information about the pandemic. But for Dr. Katrine Wallace, Rogan's last podcast episode of 2021 was the last straw. This particular episode of the Joe Rogan podcast was sent to me hundreds of times the day that it went live by my followers because their friends and family were sending it to them as evidence that the vaccines are dangerous and that they shouldn't get it. Wallace is an epidemiologist at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and part of a community of experts who debunk medical misinformation on social media. In the episode in question, Rogan interviewed Dr. Robert Malone, a scientist who worked on early research into the technology behind the top COVID vaccines in the U.S., but who's now a vaccine skeptic. Malone made a lot of baseless and disproven claims, like saying that getting vaccinated puts people who have already had COVID at higher risk. It all alarmed Wallace. First, I want to note that the person they were talking to, the doctor, um, she's Dr. Cat. You can find her on TikTok and Instagram. And she's like uh, part of Team Halo, which is also part of uh, the World Economic Forum. Her and Dr. Knox and all these. And they're, they're, they regurgitate the same um, talking points is the establishment and that's that's kind of funny how they kind of like dance around that like she made her name on tiktok and now they're trying to like that like she's this huge person because she's an epidemiologist and uh when you hear what she has to say she says the same thing as she's not about science because she's not about a debate she actually believes there is no real debate I mean, I don't know about Robert Malone like a lot of people were saying like uh you know that maybe he's a uh uh, what's it called? A CIA asset, some kind of spook. Um, possibly, maybe is, maybe isn't. But I think that to me, I like Peter McCullough a lot. I mean, I like Robert Malone, but I like McCullough. Um, I think he comes off with some good stuff. But who knows who to trust? And I think it's all information that we need to listen to, and we should be able to listen to it. To say that we're too stupid to listen to a doctor, um, and he says this, and I can listen to another doctor that disagrees, and then come up with my conclusion of what I'm gonna do. It's almost like now they're going. Are they going to push us to be like, hey, we can no longer ask for a uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, get another uh, a second uh, evaluation from another doctor. Are we supposed to just take the advice of that doctor right there and say, hey, well, he said that um, this is what I have, so it must be, even though the medicine he's giving me is not working. No, you, you get a second opinion, sometimes a third opinion, fourth opinion, because not everybody is not that smart. You know, some are intelligent. Uh, some just know how to memorize certain things and, and win degrees. 
to me, important to be a doctor is critical thinking, right? Like, uh, when you're young, a critical thinking and experience, because a lot of stuff that you learn, I compare doctors and mechanics because it seems like the same thing, right? Like, not exactly the same thing, but a mechanic doesn't necessarily know what's exactly wrong right away because the noise that's making or what's shutting off your car can be multitudes of things and the same thing with your body. So I understand that they're not going to get it right the uh, first time, but if they're not critically thinking and they're only shoving down bullshit down our throat, like you have to do this, this is the only way, then we know that's bullshit. But I'm going to continue because this is a three-parter, right? So I just wanted to say the base right there, this is Dr. Cat. Like they're talking to her. They're not calling her Dr. Cat, but that's what you can find her on TikTok. And she is one of these uh, medical influencers from the left that is pushing a lot of the establishment bullshit. And as they go on more Rogan, I'll, I'll show you where I'm going with this, who I think they're really attacking. It provides a sense of false balance, like there's two sides to the scientific evidence, when really there is not. The overwhelming evidence is that the vaccines are safe and that they're effective. She's particularly worried because Rogan has such a big audience. A stand-up comedian and TV personality, Rogan has an exclusive licensing deal with Spotify reportedly worth $100 million. So Wallace joined a group of fellow health professionals in an open letter slamming the company for allowing its biggest star to broadcast misinformation. We are in a global health emergency and streaming platforms like Spotify that provide content to the public have a responsibility not to add to the problem that we have right now. They're not asking Spotify to kick off Rogan, but they want the company to be more transparent about its rules and to make it easier to flag these kinds of baseless claims about COVID. Spotify declined to comment for this story, but has previously said it bans content about COVID that it deems dangerous or false. It's taken down 20,000 podcast episodes for breaking that policy. But Rogan's Malone interview is still available. Spotify CEO Daniel Ek told Dan Primack of Axios last year that the company does not take responsibility for what Rogan or his guests say. Joe Rogan is just a, a one out of eight million creators that we have on the but platform. The best paid, but the best paid of all of those. Sure. But we have a lot of really well-paid rappers on Spotify, too, that make tens of millions of dollars, if not more, each year from Spotify. And we don't dictate what they're putting in their songs either. Rogan did not respond to NPR's request for comment. Misinformation researchers say it was only a matter of time until the spotlight turned to podcasts. Wherever you have users generating content, you're going to have all of the same content moderation issues and controversies that you have in any other space. Evelyn Dueck is a research fellow at Columbia's Knight First Amendment Institute. She says it's much harder to ferret out things like falsehoods and hate speech in podcasts compared to posts on Facebook and Twitter. But audio can be a powerful way to spread misinformation, says Valerie Wirtschafter at the Brookings Institution. The podcaster is in your ear. You're probably alone listening to this podcast. It's a really unique relationship in that respect. The podcaster gains a level of authority and a level of credibility among listeners. Well, I must be on, on suspension because now they're only <laughs> only got like a minute and so left. But that's perfect because I was like on my way ending anyways. But basically, I think that they're coming after podcasts in any um you know, alternative media, any of us independent people, because that is their real problem. They have a problem with us because we're the ones that are coming for them and, and they're not going to be able to make it uh, while we're thriving. Um, I had another story, but uh, I'm just I'll just talk through it real quick. 
I guess they're making lingerie for men, like these boxers. It was kind of a funny story. But, uh, yeah, you know, fu- uh, I don't know. I got that little, uh, what's it called, that Simpsons uh, guy's voice. But let me end on this real quick. I want to shout out the homie from uh, Hidden Gateway. Got his book recently, uh, In the Eyes of the Fathers. Appreciate you shooting, uh, you know, shooting that to me. I've just barely started reading it. So, uh, yeah, you know, pick up that book. I'll have the link in, uh, uh, in all my shit. And uh, here we go. Wake the fuck up or get woke the fuck up. Appreciate y'all. Peace. He come all COVID. He come waves and surges. He got Wuhan bat meat. He won Spacky Potter. He got us down on our knees. Got to be a fire. Spread as he please. Yeah.